the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and a good afternoon. Good to have you with us on this uh, Thursday already. My goodness, first day of June and uh, the year regressing faster than any of us realize. Miles is looking at me saying, is it really June 1st? Yeah, time flies when you're an old married man, too, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, on today's show, we got a lot we're going to talk about. A little bit later on, we're going to find out how Governor Newsom's 300 $50 so-called tax rebates is coming back to haunt our state as we are now facing a $31.5 billion deficit. Wow. And, you know, it just goes to prove when you are trying to run for president but not admitting that you're trying to run for president and start doing crazy things, it doesn't always play out very well. So uh, our dear friend, the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy, Carol Liebel, will join us with some insights and commentary on tax rebates and uh, our potential governor's political aspirations for Washington, D.C., though he'll tell you None of it's true. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on in tonight's program. Meanwhile, an honor to introduce to you a relatively new member of the KFAX programming family. And uh, we certainly want to invite you to tune in weekday afternoons at 2.30 p.m. here on KFAX for, albeit a new radio program, though he's been on television for many, many years, the broadcast Discovering the Jewish Jesus. And joining us now is its host and speaker, Messianic Rabbi Kurt Schneider. Rabbi Schneider, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. God bless you, friend. Thank you for having me on, Craig. I really appreciate it. You have got a fascinating background, and by way of introduction for uh, many of our listeners that uh, are are new to your program, and we certainly want to encourage them to uh, discover more about your radio and television ministry. But let's start with a quick little primer on some of your background. Understand that you're originally from Cleveland, Ohio. You took your bar mitzvah in a conservative temple. And then spent, I guess, a good portion of your high school and collegiate days in wrestling. That is true. That was my identity. I had a one-track mind, completely focused on it. And my goal from seventh grade up through the time that I graduated high school, Craig, was to be state champ in Ohio at the weight class that I wrestled in, which at uh, my senior year was 119. I used to uh, listen to my Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young album before going to sleep at night, laying in my bed envisioning with my hand raised in St. John's Arena at Ohio State University as state champ, and chills would go through my body. And I got to a place where I thought there wasn't anybody that I couldn't beat, 
And as long as I stayed in that world, I felt great. But when I walked off the wrestling mat after wrestling my last match in high school, recognizing I was going into a world that was much bigger than 119 pounders, uh, 119 uh, pounders, it was like the world was pulled out from underneath my feet. And everything just came collapsing down. I didn't know who I was anymore, didn't have direction anymore, went from feeling like I was in control to feeling completely not in control, vulnerable and afraid. And I struggled like that for two years. But in 1978, at the age of 20 years old, having no understanding, I actually, I never even thought about Jesus. Uh, He was as far away to me as the man on the moon. But in 1978, I went to sleep on a hot August night. Again, never had read the New Testament. No one had ever witnessed to me. And in the middle of the night, Craig, I was awoke from my sleep into a conscious state of awareness. I was suddenly aware that I wasn't sleeping, a very high sense of something happening. And then Jesus appeared to me in a vision of the night. It was in color. He was on the cross. There were some people in the distance looking at him as he was being crucified. And then a ray of red light from straight through the sky, from straight even above the blue, came down on his head. And when I saw, Craig, the ray of red light come through the sky onto Jesus' head, I knew the light was coming from God. I understood the symbolism of it. And he was telling me that Jesus was the way to him. I knew as an American that the person on the cross was Jesus. That's that's all I knew. But that was the beginning of my faith journey over 40 years ago. So as a young man, I'm curious, Rabbi, had had you at all been actively involved in, in your Jewish faith? Was that something more obligatory from the standpoint of, well, this is what we do, this is what mom and dad want, so you're going to go through a, kind of the routine, so to speak. But I, I'm curious, had had that been a day-to-day component in your life at all prior to that supernatural encounter in 1978? Well, my family was very much culturally Jewish. But in terms of uh, viewing their Jewishness as a, uh, a sense of being connected to God as the chosen people, that wasn't there, which was the case of you know all the people that I knew, most Jewish people you probably know are are very secular. There is obviously there's an Orthodox community and so on, but the vast majority of Jews, even in Israel, are secular. So we were very very culturally Jewish, and I always had a very strong belief in God, but I didn't relate to God uh, through some type of rabbinic uh, system. I you know I was bar mitzvah and I went through all the training for that, but in terms of relating to God through the rabbinic Judaism, that was not part of my universe. I understand you had had a little bit of a a, a brush at least, we'll call it, with supernatural. Um, There was a time following your your tenure at the University of Tampa that kind of looking to find where your next niche was going to be, you became an encyclopedia salesman, which I guess today is a bit of an endangered species with the internet. But you had gone to a, basically a motivation uh, sales meeting, and I understand at that meeting uh, met another salesperson who had been engaged to some degree with Eastern mysticism, and and in particular, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, had introduced you to a yogi that claimed to have supernatural powers, and it is not long after that that God, in fact, revealed himself to you in a very supernatural way. Fascinating. 
So yeah, you've done your homework, my friend. Did you read my book, Call to Breakthrough? You know, I haven't yet, but that's going to be on my agenda for sure because I find your 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 story so captivating. You know that that notion. It's kind of a Romans one thing. That notion that God will reveal Himself to each and every one of us, and in even the notion of unreached people groups. You know, the Lord cares about us so much that God is going to find a way to be able to communicate with us, and if He has to do it supernaturally and directly, He will do it. And that certainly is what happened in your case. Very, very true. And Jesus has a chosen people. You know, he said he would build his church and, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so when we preach the gospel, this is a, just taking a side step here for a moment, but when we preach the gospel, we don't have the notion that everybody that we preach to will come to faith in Yeshua. But what we have faith in is that God will re- reveal himself to his elect. Even Jesus in John 17, he prayed, Father, I pray not for the world, but for those who now has given me. And so he revealed himself to me, Craig, in a way that he didn't reveal himself to any of the other Jewish guys that I grew up with. And I think, you know, I was chosen before the foundation of the world, as the book of Ephesians says, that all of his children were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's one of my favorite portions in the Word of God, that we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world and predestined to adoption in his love. So I believe that... um, you know, God, you know, had, has, has and had a special plan for my life and a special call. And that's why he revealed himself to me so powerfully. Yeshua, certainly during his end of time of ministry here on earth, had warned us that we would be persecuted for his namesake. And that certainly has been a big part of your own personal testimony. I understand that your your parents' reaction was uh, startling, to say the least. I mean, after all, here's this nice Jewish boy walking about town telling all the neighbors about Jesus. Their reaction, though, to your discovery of Messiah was pretty profound, um, pretty forceful. Tell us about that. Well, it, it absolutely was. I think there were, first of all, two ingredients that caused them to react uh, so forcefully. Number one, when wrestling ended, I was going through an identity crisis, and they knew that I was struggling. So they didn't know what was going on. That would be the first point that I would make on their behalf. But secondly, I think they were very, very ashamed. I mean, for a Jew to be walking around their Jewish neighborhood, my parents totally felt the shame of that. I mean, the one thing that you cannot do as a Jewish person person is believe in Jesus. If, you, if you're an atheist, you'll still be accepted by the Jewish community. If you practice Buddhism, you'll still be accepted by the Jewish community. But as soon as a Jew names Jesus as their Messiah, bam, you're out. So my parents took, uh, took decisive action. They hired the most famous deprogrammer at the time. Uh, many of your people uh, probably know what a deprogrammer is, but some may not. But uh, particularly in the 70s, there was a lot of Jewish people that were getting involved in cults as well as Gentile people, too. It was the age of, East, you know, time of Eastern religion. And so this guy, Ted Patrick, had a son that he he was able to rescue out of a cult. So he ended up uh, going into business as, as a deprogrammer, and parents would hire this guy 
basically I was abducted by him and his bodyguards. Uh, they flew him in from California to Cleveland where we were living. My dad told me we were going to go talk to somebody about buying a restaurant. And when we went to the hotel where we were supposedly going to be conducting a business meeting, I was abducted by uh, Ted Patrick and his bodyguards. They then took me to California where they uh, took me to the beach in the day, the bars at night, took away my wallet, took away my car keys, had nothing. And they thought that if they could get me away from whoever they thought was programming me, that I'd come back to my senses. But obviously, um, you know, I was marked by the Lord. So that didn't happen. And then when that didn't work, uh, my parents, you know, even took further action. So, yeah, I think uh, it was, you know, my parents were very ashamed and, uh, um, you know, tried to do whatever they could to stop me from following Messiah Yeshua. I'm curious in that moment, and I I find it completely fascinating, you know, that that shows a bit of the short-sightedness understanding of these deprogrammers. Certainly, if you had been engaged in a quote-unquote cult, separating you from the cult leader that could no longer influence you, well, that might make sense. But in this case, a little bit difficult to be separated from the Spirit of God because He's always abiding with us. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious in terms of what was going on in your own heart at that time you you have had this supernatural experience you have begun to study the claims of messiah you've in fact fully embraced him as now a messianic jew a completed jew and your folks are not taking very well to this and you know i i've got to believe with the best of intentions um it created this scenario uh, hoping to draw you out of this cult called Messiah, and yet uh, I'm wondering, in the middle of all of that, what, what was your sense in terms of where where the Lord was? Were, were there moments that you were questioning yourself and saying, God, well, why are you allowing me to experience all of this? No, not during that first action that they took. In fact, when I was abducted in the hotel room, um, basically what happened was we walked into the room, the door closed behind me. Uh, Ted Patrick uh, said, I was sat on the bed. I knew I was in the room. He said to me, Kurt, we're going to talk about cults. I said, I'm, I'm not in a cult. I said, I just believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, well, you've got nothing to worry about then. So I stood up. And I said, well, can I leave? And one of the big bodyguards said, sit down. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. Wow. So I said, well, you know, can I go to the ba- restroom? You know, and, and that was part of the hotel room. They said, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. But I got on my knees uh, in the bathroom, Craig, and I said, Lord, I don't know where this is going, but I just pray that you'll keep me. But I had no questioning of my faith at all. But it did get difficult uh, in the second action that they took. So that was a more difficult uh, episode. But clearly through all of that, the Lord was strengthening you, and that relationship was deepening. And uh, it, it just—it's an absolute fascinating story of conversion, and shows that you know when we see the depiction of of Christ leaving the rest of the flock to go find the one sheep that has been you know kind of headed off from the rest of the group. That that God is serious about that in terms of drawing each and every one of us to the foot of the cross. We're visiting today with Rabbi Kurt Schneider. His broadcast, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, maybe you're familiar with the television program, now on radio, weekday afternoons at 2.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. More information available on the web at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. That's discoveringthejewishjesus.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Rabbi Kurt Schneider joins us on this edition of Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. On this segment of the program, unpacking the amazing story of my special guest in this segment, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus. The broadcast, by the way, comes your way each Monday through Friday at 2.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. So we invite you to uh, tune in and check it out. You can also get more information on the web at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. That's discoveringthejewishjesus.com. Rabbi Schneider, I want to kind of move the story along because there's another topic I want to get to before our time runs out. But it, it sounds like then, following that experience, obviously the Holy Spirit had a strong hold of your heart. You eventually went into Bible college. You studied for the ministry. You went into full-time ministry in a mainline Protestant denomination. And then, after a while, decided to take a sabbatical and went into working as a motivational speaker. But it was during that period of time that the Lord not only called you back to ministry, but eventually called you to the ministry that you're engaged with today that's had a very strong focus on outreach to Jewish people around the globe. Tell us a bit about that. Well, people oftentimes think that my ministry is focused only on Jewish people. Really, my heart, uh, Craig, is just to preach God's Word. Really discovering the Jewish Jesus helps God's people understand, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, understand how the Old and New Testaments fit together like a hand in a glove. You know, the first verse in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 1, says, This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the very first verse of the New Testament connects Jesus to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So we need that foundation under our faith, under our feet, to fully appreciate who Jesus is and how he fulfills everything that's written in the Word of God from the book of Genesis onward. So my mission is to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And uh, what I really, my goal is, I know that it sounds preposterous, but my goal is I want every man, woman, and child on the earth to have enough information about Jesus through my ministry that they can either accept him or reject him. So I'm a preacher of the Word of God. I'm an evangelist. And uh, I think I have a gift in making things simple so that people can understand. But getting to your point, my friend, um, we have just recently launched in early March an international movement called Taking the Rainbow Back. And what a great day, Craig, to be interviewed by you. And by the way, you're a very fluid interviewer, and I really appreciate it. You're really easy to flow with. But what a day to, to, to be interviewed by you when it's the first day of Gay Pride Month in San Francisco, no less. Yes, this is that's. Uh, I guess that's true. This is now June 1st. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a bit about this initiative, and you know we we understand certainly the the rich symbolism from from God's promise you know, following the great flood, and of course the beautiful reminder every time we have a rainstorm and the sun begins to come out, um, how many of us have just in absolute awe and wonder seeing the arc of the rainbow, and even sometimes a complete point to point arc in its totality of the rainbow and reminded of that promise of God. Um, That's been co-opted, though, hasn't it? Well, it has, and it's been so hijacked that Christians are even afraid to associate with the rainbow. But the reality is, Revelation 4-3, John on the island of Patmos, sees God on the throne. And John said in Revelation 4-3, there was a rainbow around the throne. And Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 128, 
he saw the Son of God glorified. He was in the form of a man, uh, Ezekiel said. He had fire inside him that went upward and downward. And all around him, the prophet said, was the radiance like a rainbow. So the rainbow is a manifestation of God's beauty and glory. And I've had personal experiences and encounters with the Lord where he manifested himself to me in rainbow light. So I've been very connected to the rainbow going back now 40 years. I didn't even associate the rainbow in all those years, you know, until, you know, obviously the last five years particularly. I didn't even really associate the rainbow with the LGBTQ movement. But this movement, this ideology, the same sex uh, uh, blessing that the culture uh, has now and uh, gender dysphoria and uh, uh, transgendering. All this, this is, as you know, this just thing just erupted suddenly. It was in the water for quite a while. It was, it was in the Kool-Aid, so to speak. But it erupted just in the past several years. And something rose up in me, Craig. And I mean, I, I believe it was the fire of the Holy Spirit that rose up in me. I want you to stand up and I want you to speak out against this thing. My mission is to empower God's people to come together in unity, to lift our voices and to take a stand for righteousness. We we need to speak up. We need to speak out. We need to drive the forces of darkness away. Not that we can change America, but we can certainly influence the sphere where we're living, whether it's our family or our workplace or wherever that is. We can have an impact. I want to encourage everybody that's listening right now to go to my website, Taking the Rainbow Back. The last word is back. Taking the Rainbow Back. Dot com and join the movement. We've got thousands and thousands of people all over the world that are getting involved in this. It's so important. This is a uh, this is a battleground that the church needs to stand on and fight. Boy, so much to unpack, and we certainly appreciate your time today, uh, Pastor Schneider, Rabbi Schneider, and would love to get you back on to go a little bit deeper into this subject matter. Visiting today with. Rabbi Kurt Schneider, again, he is the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, the broadcast weekday afternoons at 2.30 p.m. here on KFAX. More information available again on the web at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. That's discoveringthejewishjesus.com. And our thanks to Rabbi Kurt Schneider for being with us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joining me here today in studio, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners down through the years. In fact, many of us get our day started with him as a part of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. From Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Don Sheely and Pastor Don, a delight to have you in studio with us today. Good to be with you, sir. Perhaps not many people in the audience know of the story of Pastor Don Sheely and Church of the Highlands and the amazing work that's gone up there in San Bruno for the last 50-something years, and how that um, Church of the Highlands and your work there was kind of a pause for a moment, a long moment, in, in your ministry and an burden that God had put in your heart in an entirely different direction, even as you have ministered here and led that congregation for so many years, I understand that many years ago, God had put a burden on your heart for the area of, called Borneo right. in Southeast Asia. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think, Craig, the, the whole concept of our church has been missions, but it's been unique in that we have had, instead of maintaining missionaries on the field, we have made our missionary, pro, uh, missionary goals as selecting projects and then we would 
go to a field and, and evaluate the project and see how, how it could be done and the cost so forth. And so our congregation over the last 40 years has worked with projects. Years ago, we went to Africa and we uh, saw how easy it would be to build churches out in, in uh, Africa. So we built churches in Africa. We went to India and um, um, Mark Bentain, the great missionary there in Calcutta, uh, was a close friend of ours, and so we helped Mark select his site for the big hospital there in Calcutta and became a part of that project. And so we've moved around the world, and I have found that by doing it in projects, you can set a, set a goal, you can get your congregation tuned into that goal, and that's what's on their mind, and when it's finished, there's a sense of completion, whereas many missionary programs within the church is you send $100 here and $100 there over a period of time, uh, project goal missionary work has gives a sense of satisfaction and so there's something to be said too pastor don about the effectiveness of that in that there is a certain expense when it comes to preparing a missionary to go overseas they have to learn the culture they have to learn the language there are expenses involved in there so many of your projects have been oriented toward training up local missionaries meaning right. in-country nationals who don't have language barriers, who don't have to raise huge amounts of money because they're local. And as a result, the level of effectiveness in helping to sort of um, um, naturally see sort of an organic growth of the church in country uh, has been extremely successful, hasn't it? Yeah, we for many years, in other words, we select an area of the world and probably concentrate there for two or three years. Some years ago, we selected the Philippine Islands. And down in Mindanao, there was a training center there for the locals for mission work. And so we purchased, I think it was 40 acres, and we planted a rubber plantation with, I think, 1,100 rubber trees. Now that plantation underwrites all the cost mm-hmm. for operating that training center. And so uh, the joy of getting a project done brings great excitement. But what you do when you move the projects every three years, you change the focus of the congregation. And uh, what brought us to Borneo, Craig, was we had spent a lot of time working in the Philippine Islands. And we ventured across the uh, border from Malaysia into Indonesia. About 30 minutes in, there was this uh, work of for orphans. And we, of course, helped very much. We built many of the classrooms and were involved. We sent in a back hole digger and so forth. But one day, we were talking about the mission work there in Borneo, and the uh, builder who had come there to help in Mount Hope told us about Ronnie's ministry deep in the jungle. Now, that fascinated me. I thought, now, go to the middle of the jungle and create a, a ministry. So I said, the next time we come, we've got to go find this man in the middle of the jungle. So as a result, uh, we made it there. It was a very, very difficult road to get there. It's about 12 hours of washboard roads. And it was late in the evening. We'd been delayed because of car problems and so forth, and probably 11 o'clock at night. And we were right in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden we came over the top of a hill, and I saw all these streetlights of a city. And it absolutely thrilled me that, how do you build a city? in the middle of the jungles. And as soon as we arrived, uh, we, of course, met Ronnie, and we became fascinated. Here is an 800-acre project or more 
with a goal of a thousand children, schools, medical centers, hospitals, airfield. I mean, it's a complete city. And I've always enjoyed working with men who have great minds, who have a great dream. Way back in the uh, 70s, we visited Korea. When Dr. Hong, who had a Christian school there, he would uh, he had escaped from North Korea. Today, he has a Christian school of 16,000 children. But a tremendous vision. God can do anything. And when I met Ronnie, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's much like Dr. Hong. He has a vision, and uh, he has a simple faith. And when I walked around that campus that day and saw about 60 buildings, and realizing that all that building material had to be brought in through that crazy road, and um, to see it, to see those hundreds and hundreds of children having a marvelous time, sitting there in the uh, cafeteria, eating, going to their schools, I thought, now here's a project that we would like to become a part of. Wasn't there part of this, Pastor Don, that was kind of fulfillment of a burden that had been on your heart for many, many years? Correct. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that you had a burden to head off to Borneo to do missions work there at the point at which God called you to Church of the Highlands. So it was almost as if God paused that for a moment, gave you another assignment, and then when you completed or fulfilled that work, God said, okay, time to pick up where we left off almost five decades ago. When we entered the ministry, we had a missions burden. So we were going to act as a fill-in missionary for missionaries who came home on furlough. And so they sent us over to Hong Kong, where they set up our apartment and sent a car over. And we got stuck in a church. So I've had a a detour for 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, I always wanted, I love missionary work, but we got stuck in work doing here. And uh, as a result, had a great place to get stuck. I might add. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the, the dream was always been. And then, Craig, there's a, a fascination inside me. Where is the end of the world? Go to the ends of the mm-hmm. world. Um, well, so when we had our Bible college in Ukraine back in '89, when the Iron Curtain fell, here's Siberia. I thought I'd like to go to Siberia. And so I talked with a couple of missionaries, and we ended up in Magadan, Siberia, which is as far from uh, as far as you can get in the Russian country. And um, we started a, a Bible college in Magadan, Siberia. And as a result of that, um, that part of the world now has as pastors that are pastoring many of the churches. And so Borneo has always fascinated me because I know that it's one of the uh, most uh, uh, probably the most trying to think of a word we're so backward I mean no it's not it's not modern uh, it's a good definition of uttermost <laughs> yeah, uttermost it's uttermost and so I always wanted to go there and when I heard about Ronnie's project I thought here's our opportunity and of course Tony being our missionary pastor has been by my side and uh, when I got to Ronnie's project I knew we had uh, reached a uh, project that I believe 
Craig, with all my heart, and I say this in Ronnie's presence, this will go down as one of the great missionary endeavors of the of the century. You know, we understand the concept of Judea and Samaria, and, and hopefully as believers we all have a passion for the Lord to share our faith with others, and in doing so can reach our Judea and venture out occasionally into Samaria. Um, getting that uttermost, though, um, we know we need to pray for that. We know it needs to be reached. But I wonder how many of us pray and say, Lord, send me to the uttermost that I might fulfill your great commandment and great commission. There's a brand new book out that both Ronnie and Pastor Don Sheely have co-authored together telling the story of this miracle zone. In fact, that's the title of the book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands, speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX. And with us from Borneo, yes, you heard right, Borneo, is Pastor Ronnie Habor. They are co-authors of a brand new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Pastor Sheely, this is really powers and principalities in high places. This is spiritual warfare, the likes of which many Western Christians don't really understand, do they? No, I think, you know, living here in the Western world, most of us do not understand how intense the spiritual powers are in some of these countries. And, um, you know, you really have to have a touch of God on your life because to deal with these spiritual issues, when you walk into you, you can actually feel, you feel demonic powers present. And um, so the, the, the challenge, uh, if a person went there just to be a professional missionary, he'd be gone in a few days. But to go there with a burden and a touch of God on your life, then you can see God at work in the lives of these people. Um, it's an experience that, that you can't explain. And this is not casual Christianity. This is not cultural Christianity. This is, I may lose my life because of who I name as Lord and Savior, Christianity. Absolutely. This is the battle for hearts and minds between goodness and evil and dark and light and the enemy himself and very God himself. This is that battle being played out right in front of our very eyes. Very much so. And I think Ronnie has you know, a number of situations where he's had to deal, even with children who have been possessed and uh, they have their curses that have been placed upon them. And... Uh, but to deal with intense spiritual concerns. And I've been in the ministry for a number of years, and maybe only once or twice have I had to deal with intense demonic involvement. But they're in the jungle. That's where they live with. And it really puts a perspective on all that we see in the New Testament. And I think as much as there are some Christians in the West, Ronnie, that would look at the book of Acts, for example, as a history book, and not realize that, yes, while it does give an account for what happened in the early church, in the early days of the establishment of the body of believers following Christ's resurrection, that it is also demonstrative of what real, authentic 
Christianity is all about, that we hear about miracles of demons being cast out or the blind seen or the lame walking in, and we think, well, wasn't it nice that God used to do those things? And we don't realize that that is a part of God's world functioning every single day. Oh, absolutely. And that he uses these demonstrations of power Large as we see again throughout the book of Acts, amazing to see almost every time that somebody was healed, then word spread about, Absolutely. and everybody in the village came to Christ. Yeah. Uh, the thousands uh, were then led to see him as uh, not just a good man who walked the earth, but rather as truly being God himself. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults, and we sent over a, a exploratory team a couple months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. Sirani has set aside 10 acres on his, in his area, and uh, they're presently digging the holes, and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, f- a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years, the children will be enjoying. But by sending our young people there, it is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. Yeah, it's amazing. I think... And I have three wonderful boys that God has given to us. And years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go uh, in the next couple of months, that we're going to see some life-changing experiences. And they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship and they learn to love the Lord, read his word, uh, live out his word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the, the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And what we did as a church, we talked it over, it's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do is raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because what God will do in that experience. You can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. 
And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can. And they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, so that's like right. In, in fact, yeah. just like the team coming from Church yeah. of the Highlands. And, uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners, Pastor Sheely, have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future are they open to folks coming and getting more information about? Yes, we open going? Up, we open up the trips. And uh, the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we can send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in a city, Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do. They can use their, their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project, in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills, and, and but they don't, to send over a church family to help is, is really not uh, the, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church, we're going to be taking another tour, come and join us. And uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can, how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel, and with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay. And we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters. And uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going to yeah. be staying there in the Highlands house. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Um, On the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650-873-4095. Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. New book written and co-authored by Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Ronnie, great to see you again. Appreciate the visit. Pastor Don Sheely, always wonderful to have you drop by. God bless you, Greg. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.